are entering the Freedom Hut. More fallout after the arrest of Jeffrey Epstein, as some very powerful people are going to have some explaining to do. We will get into that. Plus, a video goes viral of a an exchange out in San Francisco where something that could be every day, well, it might have ruined one person's reputation and then some. And we have all the latest on the border crisis and the insurgency from the Democratic Party that looks like it could overthrow Pelosi's power. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Well, I knew him like everybody in Palm Beach knew him. I mean, people in Palm Beach knew him. He was a fixture in Palm Beach. Uh, I had a falling out with him a long time ago. I don't think I've spoken to him for 15 years. Uh, I wasn't a fan. I was not, yeah, a long time ago. I'd, I'd say maybe 15 years. Uh, I was not a fan of his. That I can tell you. I was not a fan of his. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. All this focus on Trump's relationship with Epstein, which is from what we know from the records, not just from what the president says, uh, minimal to non-existent. And we'll talk more about some of those details later. And so little focus on Clinton, despite the fact that he released a statement saying that he only flew on the plane a few times, that his Secret Service detail was always with him. Well, that conflicts with other, with other stories, with other investigations on this done by reporters. Some reporters, the Miami Herald, give credit where it's due. Local news organizations will still sometimes step up because the story's just too good and their professional pride maybe clouds a little bit of the usual whatever's best for the Democratic Party is what I will do mentality. So the Miami Herald gets credit here for doing some some good investigative work on the Jeffrey Epstein case. But a lot of people are standing around saying, well, hold on a minute. Why did it take so long for us to get to this point? Why is it that people on the right have been talking about this issue for years and they were treated like conspiracy theorists? I mean, here you have a billionaire who was engaged in some of the most you know, egregious sexual conduct you can think of, illegal immoral, illicit, and is tied to some of the most powerful people in the United States, media didn't have more interest in this? This wasn't, uh, you know, there wasn't more of the same media that presents us with uh, with Me Too and, and that whole uh, moment of feminist uh, and, and women's rights revolution where all of a sudden all these perpetrators had to be taken down and finally were taken down. Many of them, absolutely rightfully so. Most of them rightfully so. And yet the Epstein story just never really got that much attention. And we have to, we have to think why that is. Because what could have been a fatter target in so many ways for the Democrats than, oh my gosh, President Trump is going to be you know, he he knew this guy. I mean, we have had we had a woman come forward. What was it? Two weeks ago 
saying that Trump raped her 30 years ago, who's clearly deranged. I mean, clearly has problems, has, has, has definite psychological issues. And the media treated her like she was serious and credible until she went on TV and talked about rape fantasies and, quote, rape as sexy on Anderson Cooper's show. And he looked like he melted in real time on TV when she said it. Whatever credibility CNN has left, they seem to enjoy lighting on fire in front of the American people. But that's what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But the Epstein store was always hanging around, always in the background. So much here. Where are the made-for-TV specials? Where's the, the, the major investigative pieces on this? Why wouldn't they have done? They have tied the such flimsy things to Trump from his past. Why wouldn't they make more of this? Now, I think it's because, one, they probably recognize that Trump would be able to say that this wasn't this wasn't somebody that was a close friend of his. It's not somebody he had. A, he, he wasn't involved in getting this guy out of criminal jeopardy in any way. So it's not Trump's problem. Oh, but what about another really powerful, important figure? One around whom the Democrats not only rallied when he was president for eight years, but then planned to foist upon the American people for another eight years the most odious, dishonest, disgusting political dynasty of my lifetime, the Clintons. That's right. Hey, I just thought I would just take a whole bunch of rods on this guy's airplane and it wouldn't be a big deal, and I didn't know nothing about it. And Does anyone believe that Bill Clinton really knew nothing about this? Bill Clinton, really? Nobody, nobody gave him a heads up? He, and forget about what he knew from the papers and the press. He spent a lot of time with this individual, with, with uh, this Epstein People knew that he liked to hang out with young, in fact, very young, troubling, uh, troublingly young and perhaps illegally young women in amorous, so to speak, situations where he would present himself as a boyfriend of theirs in public. This was written about in the Vanity Fair article, you know, that the, people would say, well, are they old enough to be his dates, so to speak? Now, this is separate from the human trafficking aspect of it. But you're going to tell me that, well, it's not totally separate, but it's a different specific charge, a different specific instance. You're going to tell me that Bill Clinton didn't know something was up here, something was wrong, that this guy was engaged in at least inappropriate, and now we find out deeply criminal and, and horrific conduct with young girls. Exploitative, human trafficking, paying young girls. I mean, just... This guy should have spent the rest of his life in prison the first time around. And just as, as, a, as a guy, I look at this situation, I say to myself, Bill Clinton was around him all this, all this time and didn't pick up on any of this, didn't know about it. I find that very, very uh, hard to believe. And here's an investigative journalist who seems to somewhat agree with my thesis, Play 21. I have read too much information and I have spoken to too many people on the inside. I actually attempted to interview Clinton, but he would not, he did not agree to do so. And I know from the pilot logs, and these are pilot logs that, you know, were written by different pilots and, and uh, at different times, that Clinton went, he was a guest of, Clint, of Epstein's 27 times. Now you tell me, Doug Bands was also on the plane many times. Many of those times Clinton had his secret service with him and many times he did not. Almost every time that Clinton's name is on the pilot logs, there are 
underage girls. There are initials and there are names of many, many girls on that private plane. So you have to ask yourself, and this is what I asked myself, why would anyone, not only a former president, fly on a plane 27 times that did not belong to him? Okay. Does anyone want to try to answer that one? Because that's a tricky one, isn't it? Flew in his plane 27 times? He's Bill Clinton. He's a public figure. I Granted, I think that he also has a, a bit of a, not just a malignant narcissism, but a, a kind of God complex where he was able to get away with such disgrace while president, while in office, that he probably figured he could do a whole lot of things that anyone else would say, you've got to be kidding me, you can't, you can't do that, you can't be around that. Maybe he's so delusional about his power and his influence that he thought it wouldn't really matter, although look at how long it was able to, Clinton was able to really not have this be a problem for him. But here's what was released. This is big, folks. This is the story the Democrats haven't wanted to talk about, they haven't wanted to go here. A lot of us have known this for a long time on the right and there was too much there was too much smoke. We knew there was a fire. And now we're going to figure out how big the fire really is. This is what the statement was released yesterday by Clinton, uh, by a Clinton spokesperson. President Clinton knows nothing about the terrible crimes Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty to in Florida some years ago or those with which he has been recently charged in New York. In 2002 and 2003, President Clinton took a total of four trips on Jeffrey Epstein's plane, one to Europe, one to Asia, and two to Africa, which included stops in connection with the work of the Clinton Foundation. Um, okay, so meanwhile, it has been believed and reported on for years that Clinton flew dozens of times. And that's just exactly what that investigative reporter was saying there, that Clinton flew dozens of times on Epstein's jet, including when there were these young girls. I'm sorry, did he ever think to ask what, why young women were, you know, how many parents out there would let their 13 or 14-year-old girl fly on a plane with some weirdo billionaire guy? I mean, think about this for a moment. And then how many of you, if you were in a situation where someone that you just kind of knew socially, as Bill Clinton pretends about Epstein, were on a plane and there was always this group of, you know, a handful here or there of 13, 14, 15 year old girls. How many of you would have thought that that was normal? Wouldn't have had questions, wouldn't have raised some eyebrows. You're not going to private planes aren't that big, folks. Right. This is not like you're on a 747 that's you know, got 300 seats and you don't know who's on or whatever. You know, you're on a private plane. You know who else is on that plane. So Clinton never thought to ask about this. Didn't find this shady. And what are we saying? What I really want to know is this is going to be a he did or he didn't thing with the with the flights. What are they going to say? If and when we find out that this statement, this prepared official statement that you know, Bill Clinton uh, had put out for him that he knew nothing and only flew in his plane four times. What if it turns out he did fly? What was it, 27 times? Uh, Conchita Sarnoff said. Uh, Sarnoff is the executive director of Alliance to Rescue Victims of Trafficking and the author of her, uh, an author of a book, Traffic King. Um, 
is that, Mike, is that who was, uh, or is it a different investigative journalist? I mean, there are many people who have been doing work on this for a long time. You know, there are journalists out there who are saying that this has been done dozens of times. What are they going to tell us that explains this? Here's what the Democrats have to fear, is that after all their moralizing and, oh, Trump is so evil, Trump is a, you know, grab them by the you-know-what and all this stuff that, oh, he's so horrible and Trump's an abuser and assaulter, all these things they've said about him, none of which have they've ever presented any evidence for, and they've always misconstrued what he said, uh, pretended that what he said was worse than it was, or they've, after all that, what are the Democrats going to say to the American people if it turns out that the founder of a political dynasty that was supposed to really haunt the American people for not just the eight years of Clinton, but then four years of Hillary as Secretary of State, and then eight years of, with Hillary as president, and then probably eight years with incredibly unimpressive Chelsea as president, that, that dynasty was founded by a guy who didn't think it was weird to fly not four times, but over 24 times on a private plane with a pedo who was trafficking in underage girls. These are the facts now, folks. This is what we're looking at. This is factual stuff. This is not, oh, let's just theorize here. How are they going to explain that? They, they still want to tell us about how Trump has coarsened the discourse and everything? Tell you this. There's going to be some explaining here, folks, and not just for... For Clinton, but for some others, I think, who are, you know, someone in this process at the Department of Justice, there was influence brought to bear. You do not do what this guy Epstein did and get a, a an 18 month effectively suspended sentence. I mean, it was the most sweetheart deal you could ever get from a prosecutor's office. That doesn't happen unless people make calls. People made calls on this guy's behalf. People went to bat. For this serial abuser of women, this sicko. And people spent a lot of time around him, like Bill Clinton, who are trying to tell us now that they had no idea. No idea. I don't believe Bill Clinton. And I think if we're looking at somebody who would have no trouble lying about his prior sexual activity, Bill Clinton goes to the very top of the list. We will not let this go. We have much more coming. Stay with me. While a federal prosecutor, Acosta signed a non-prosecution agreement that allowed Epstein and his co-conspirators to remain free and evade justice despite overwhelming evidence. Mr. Acosta hid this agreement from Epstein's victims. I am calling on Secretary Acosta to resign. It is now impossible for anyone to have confidence in Secretary Acosta's ability to lead the Department of Labor. If he refuses to resign, President Trump should fire him. Instead of prosecuting a predator and serial sex trafficker of children, Acosta chose to let him off easy. Acosta's got to explain this. That's what has to happen here. There, there needs to be an explanation of a, from Acosta as to how he would have ever allowed this to, to occur in this way. Um, he, here, I'm trying to pull up right now what, what Acosta's 
version of, of the events are. But of course, right as I do it, my computer freezes. But I wanted to give you some of his sound bites because he, he look, if, if he doesn't, if it's not compelling enough, he should go. We, we don't need we don't need Acosta here. Here's what he says. Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta defended his handling of a case involving a billionaire accused of exploiting underage girls. Um, on Twitter, Mr. Acosta said Tuesday, with the evidence available more than a decade ago, federal prosecutors insisted that Epstein go to jail, register as a sex offender and put the world on notice that he was a sexual predator. He said he supported the fresh effort by prosecutors to more fully bring him to justice based on new evidence and testimony. The crimes committed by Epstein are horrific, and I am pleased the New York prosecutors are moving forward with the case based on new evidence. So here's what I think is, is, is something that you're going to have to get from people like me, because the, the lib media is not going to tell you this. The real sweetheart end of this deal in some ways, uh, based on the evidence as it was, and based on the Palm, uh, Palm Beach uh, County Sheriff's Office at the time, was the Democrat, oh, that's right, district attorney for Palm Beach County who created the super soft sweetheart deal for for Epstein where he was able to be on I think be home six days of the week and had to just show up for eight hours a day to a facility that was like a county I mean just it was it was no real lockup prison situation at all but that was a that was a district attorney in Palm Beach who was a Democrat by the way and uh, because it's a political position there I believe And he's the one that let him get away with all that stuff. The federal charges, Acosta at least did something, not nearly enough, but something. And I don't know if he, we have to look at what the federal charge evidence was. Most of the readily provable crimes against Epstein would have been state charges. uh, Sex with a minor, for example. I mean, that's a state charge. The trafficking between these different places, I don't know whether... Acosta would have been able to we have to see what the evidence was he had there so I'm not gonna what Acosta did looks terrible and if he if he can't really explain this better than what we had on Twitter I think he does have to go but it's not just Acosta folks I'm not gonna let them just allow Clinton and maybe some others too to skate away from their association with this guy and someone was was bringing influence to bear on Epstein's side of things do we think it was a Democrat folks who wants to bet right now that the person that made the call that got the DA in Palm Beach to back off was a Democrat? Who wants to make that call? I talked to the president this morning. He hasn't talked or had contact with Epstein in years and years and years. And uh, over a decade, at least, he said. And he met Alex Acosta when Alex applied and got the job where he's doing a great job. I mean, look at the economy. So I know everybody, you want to revisit what happened in Florida. New York is has applied fresh charges to Jeffrey Epstein because they have a right to do that. And uh, and I, I hope we're all paying attention to who the true perpetrator is here. I was sitting at lunch today with a, a friend of mine, a conservative, a fellow conservative warrior. And we're having a, we're having a great chat about all things, all things, right wing media, life, ladies, all the stuff. But we're in this we're in this uh bistro right and i wish I, I you know a restaurant whatever and there were some uh, monitors you know t- also known as televisions buck come on speak english there were some televisions that were up uh, with cnn on them of course cnn on them and it was very obvious over the course of of this uh you know we sat there probably had lunch for about an hour that cnn 
is trying so hard, so very, very hard to make the Epstein uh, case, which is is horrific. And now I saw that they said that they found a a not only was there the uh, photos of apparently underage girls in a safe. So, I mean, you, you don't keep photos in a safe unless you know they're photos that can get you in a lot of trouble, right? Or, or have some particular meaning. But in this case, you know, he's keeping photos of naked girls in his safe because he knows that it's that they're illegal. That those photos would, under the law, be considered child pine, uh, child uh, pornography. And there was also, I think, a blow up doll that was producer Mike. Did you see the listing of all this stuff? Uh, a little bit. I saw it earlier yeah, today. Yeah. There was a there was a blow up doll hanging from a yeah. chandelier. Yeah, I mean this guy is a sicko weirdo of a whole. I mean, you know, it, it's just mind boggling. Yeah, this guy was really able sorry. to stay out of prison with all the stuff he's doing. He's in a seventy million plus dollar home in New York City. That doesn't even include the island and the mansion in Palm Beach. And I mean, this guy was fabulously wealthy. I mean, wealthy beyond people's wildest dreams and was a total perv and a sicko and a, and a and a maniac and a predator and now finally there's the possibility it seems of real justice being served but does the media view it that way do they do any self-reflection this is another part of this that we have to focus on because the media certainly won't do they do any self-reflection on why is it that Stretching back for years, stories about Pedophile Island, the Lolita Express, it was the stuff of tabloids. But it was always considered uh, a little bit, for, for the mainstream media networks, it was always a little, oh, we don't need to cover that, or that's just, people are exaggerating, or it's conspiracy theories, or, huh? None of it that we've seen right now uh, appears to have been exaggerated at all. If, if anything, what we have found out is that Epstein was even more an egregious predator, uh, was even more uh, dangerous to these young girls and, and systematic in the way he exploited them and even wealthier, more influential and more connected than anyone had really realized. I, I do think that we're going to have to hear from, uh, Acosta, and that's why even Kellyanne Conway talked about this because people are, are saying that Acosta might have to uh, might have to resign. Alex Acosta, not Jim Acosta. That's a whole different Acosta. Uh, that 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 he might have to resign because of this because he was the attorney for the Southern District, the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Florida when this went through, and it was allowed that he that the Southern District of Florida would not would have a non prosecution agreement. If the state charges were uh, were agreed to, the state charges were, and, and I think I said yesterday, and my instinct was right on this, it wasn't solicitation of an underage prostitute, which would be a greatly enhanced penalty, and I think would also trigger federal statutes in and of itself. It was just solicitation of a prostitute, period. That's what he pled to, or pleaded to. So he got a deal that was, it was unthinkably lenient, and that just doesn't happen. Now we have to see where all the corruption is and all of the connections are. Um, and they want to make this all about Trump. Meanwhile, here's what Kellyanne Conway said about this today. Play clip one. 
he doesn't think he's talked to him or seen him in 10 or 15 years. Uh, and he, like everyone else, sees these charges, the description of these charges against Epstein as uh, completely unconscionable and obviously criminal. Disgusting, uh, really. Now, what gets left out by the mainstream media is that, yeah, there's some photos of, of Epstein with Trump and they knew each other. Um, but Epstein was a billionaire in Palm Beach and in New York who was rubbing elbows with other billionaires all the time, other rich people all the time. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that there was a close personal relationship. In fact, what gets left out is that Trump called this scum out long before other people did because this guy, it's not clear, but allegedly put the moves on an underage, which I think is totally believable given what we know about him, uh, put the moves on and, you know, uh, or I don't know if he put the moves on or if he actually assaulted. It's, it's not clear. He, he did something illicit with an underage girl. Right. You know, tried to I mean, I've never read a, a detailed description, of it, but tried to uh, do something. And, and Trump was like, get this scum out of here and banned him from uh, Mar-a-Lago. So why is why is Trump the big? I mean, Trump is like this guy is a gross underage, uh, you know, underage chasing sicko. And I don't want him in my club anymore. And he's banned. And this is this has been on the record. This has been a story for a long time. People have known this. And I'm telling you, every time I looked up from my table at CNN, from my table at lunch to see what was going on CNN, it was some, you know, Trump administration says this about Trump's relationship with Epstein. I'm like, what relationship with Epstein? You know, can they establish for us that this was closer? I've said this all along. They're doing this as a means of running cover for Clinton's relationship with Epstein, because I do not believe for a second. I do not believe that Bill Clinton had no idea what was going on. And and I think, my friends, it could be a whole lot worse than just what he knew. And, you know, we got to find out more. Who helped cover this up? Who made calls for him? Who exerted pressure at the top of the DOJ to get this unconscionable deal for this perv? Media doesn't want to find the real answers. They only want to find some answers. We're going to have to keep the heat on. On Monday of last week, I was down at the border in the Rio Grande Valley. I've been down there many, many times. And and we have a full-blown crisis. I mean, it is horrific. In the month of May, over 144,000 people were apprehended coming into this country illegally. It is a crisis. And, And what we're seeing in particular is more and more kids children who are being brutalized they're being brutalized by human traffickers they're being brutalized coming over and the reason for the crisis is congressional democrats in particular the loopholes in the laws yep this could all be over in a a matter of days if democrats were willing to help end this crisis but they benefit far too much politically to take any real action to make this thing stop. They, they don't want it to stop. In fact, I believe the Democrats think that the focus on treatment at our southern border has become so, uh, so single-minded, certainly with the media's help, that they're banking on a lot of American voters not even noticing the Democrats have effectively kicked the doors open to this country and said, we're more or less open borders. That's what we are. That's why we got people from all over the world. People from all over the world now are showing up here with a kid 
And they think that the kid, because it basically is, is, is the, the magic, you know, the magic uh, doorway into America. And they're mad at us because when they're complaining, and there's news stories about this, because we don't have enough in terms of, like, comfort and facilities for them. Well, no one told them to do this. No one told them to just show up. There's a whole process. They're skipping this whole process. A lot of you who listen to the show who are legal immigrants know all about this. And if I were you, I gotta be honest, I'd be pretty steamed about this. I have friends who have had to go through, you know, thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars of legal fees and all kinds of paperwork and all this stuff so they can be here legally. Or they could just show up at the southern border and be like, yeah, this is my nephew. I'm his guardian. Let me into America. That's it. And, and, and you never have to deal with anything ever again. You're never going to get deported. You're, you know, in, in fact, you'll probably get invited to a State of the Union address. These are the best among us, the illegals. Wow, really? I think the American people are pretty great. I'm, I'm not sure that I would just make a sweeping statement about anybody being better than the American people. But those who cross into the country illegally, I, I just what are we basing that on? They're looking for a better life here. Um, they they could have had a, a better life in a whole bunch of countries, but they're coming to America. Why is that? I mean, let's really think this one through. There are a lot of places where you can live a happy, normal, productive life all over the world. They're coming to America. Why is that? Because they're going to be able to compete so effectively in an increasingly information-based economy. We, we have people that are showing up here from, you know, n- name all corners of the world right now. Showing up at the southern border, exploiting the overwhelmed system, and they're coming all the way to America. Why exactly? We're told it's because that they just want they just want a taste of freedom. Yeah, okay, but why not then respect the laws of the place that allow freedom to flourish? Without our laws, without our rule of law, freedom would not be in uh, freedom would would be in short supply very quickly. It is, in fact, our rule of law. It is, it is the framework of laws that we have that allows us to enjoy this country. And those who are undermining that whole system because they want to be here so badly and are also being told, mind you, by one political party and most of the media that they are owed this and that we're the bad guys. And the reason their countries that they're coming from aren't better is because of us, which is just this is just lunacy. But this is what they keep saying. You know, Some of these countries, they, they, they don't lack electricity in whole regions and indoor plumbing and have very poor literacy rates, particularly for you know women who aren't allowed to go to school and all these things, uh, that's not our fault. You know, some cultures are actually better than other cultures. And this, and this gets very, oh, you can't say that. Why not? It's true. Okay, well, this is where, this is where you know, it would be fun if Buck and the Libs could actually have a real debate. But the Libs never, they never really... You know, all they want to do is go on Twitter and make fun of my name, which anyone I, I always like that, though, because it at least establishes that someone's a moron, a total moron. Um, you know, I mean, I my my name is weird. My parents gave me this name. I don't know why, but, you know, it is my name and I'm not changing it. So there you go. But here's here's the, the culture versus culture uh, problem in a way that even libs can understand. OK, is American culture better than North Korean culture? They'd say, well, that's an extreme. Okay, yeah, but, you know, they have to answer the question. And I think most of them would answer yes, although not all of them. I don't know. Would Rashida Tlaib say we're better than North Korea? Maybe. She's got a lot of problems with this country. But 
okay, if we can establish that American culture is better than North Korean culture, then we've established that, that it is possible to differentiate between the, the relative merits of different cultures, and therefore we can extrapolate beyond just North Korea and America in the comparison and look at other countries as well. Why are we in this country doing so much better in so many? Not always, always, you know, I mean, I'm kind of jealous that Spaniards get to take three-hour siestas every day. I mean, there's some cool stuff going on in Spain. But generally speaking, and I would love oh, siesta. It's amazing. You know, take a long nap after. Imagine, Producer Mike, imagine if it was part of American culture that every day after you have a big lunch, you get to just chill for like two hours. Yeah, I can handle that. Right? Why? You know, there, look, I'm all for cultural appropriation. Let's appropriate siesta. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. When I was in Greece, if you wanted to get anything done between the hours of noon and like 4 p.m., too bad. Efaristo, parakalo. Like, too bad. You're on your own. They're all napping and sleeping and drinking ouzo and hanging out. That's part of it was nice. I mean, they also, their economy collapsed probably in, not in, uh, you know, not completely unrelated issues. But I could build a George Cassandra. George Costanza bed right underneath my desk. I think that would work. I have enough room. You know, my, my hours at the Hill were so long that I actually had a sleeping pad there for a while and a little pillow. A pillow for my giant cranium. And uh, I used it twice. I did take two naps there in the radio room on the ground because I had been working so long and I was so tired. So that's right. Buck is, a, Buck, is, Buck is a working man hero. What can I say? Oh, but what do Democrats... So just bringing us back to immigration here for a second. What, what do Democrats offer given this whole situation? Given that there is a crisis at the border, Ted Cruz is right. What do the Democrats uh, tell us in response to all this? How, how would they fix it if they really intended to fix it? How would they fix it? And, well, here's what they really focus in on. 13. If you could, would you take the wall down now? Here. Yes. Like you have a wall. Absolutely. Knock it down. Offer a home to refugees. That is who we are. That's our values. That's part of what we do. So instead of building a wall or closing the border, we should choose compassion instead of cruelty. We welcome refugees and bring people out of the shadows. Immigration is not a security issue. It is an economic and a humanitarian and a family issue. I think undocumented people need to have a means by which they can be covered when they're sick. People need, this is just common decency. Hmm. Doesn't sound a lot like they want to enforce the law or they have any particular interest in preventing the continued mass migration in this country. Sounds a lot to me like they want this whole situation to just continue on as is. Like they got no problem with it whatsoever there's certainly no no focus on stopping this from happening so i think we have to ask well maybe that's because they don't want it to stop you know is isn't it possible that that's what's really going on here that they would like that, that they think that this system should continue on as is because this system benefits them politically in ways that they do not want to give up so they don't answer. I mean, this is the real, the real, you know, conclusion we have to draw from all this is that they, this is what they want. This is what they want. They do not want this to change. They have no interest in making this situation better because for them, the situation is just great. 
And team, we'll be right back. What, if anything, would you like to say about the Kamala Biden dust-up? He apologized today. You've been following that. Do you have any thoughts about that? I do not. Okay. Let me ask you this. Moving on. I've been moving I've been, on. I've been doing this rodeo far too long. Yeah, moving on. Moving like, on. Like, uh, no comments. I'm sorry. That's not okay. I mean, she, Michelle Obama has a right to say that, but we're not just going to let that go. Let's just review, folks. Joe Biden has been pilloried, has been getting crushed in public, dragged on social media, you know, annihilated in the press for effectively for being a little too cozy with segregationists who are true racists, right? So so Joe Biden likes racists too much because they're saying he's kind of a racist. And he opposed forced busing, which is an issue that nobody has really thought about in, in many decades, but or at least generally doesn't come up in national political conversation, uh, has not for decades. And Joe Biden is getting called a racist. Now, put aside all the celebrity politics stuff that we know out there. and Put, put aside all that for a few moments, if we, if we can. And let's just look at what's going on here. And a, a man who is in the twilight of his career, and let's be honest, he's getting up there in age in general across the board. This is the end of his career, and he is being the, the right-hand man to the first black president of the United States for eight years is being called a racist, and neither that former president barack obama first black president of the united states nor the first lady his his wife barack obama's wife are willing to say a word not one word in defense of joe biden not saying oh you should vote for biden or he's a great candidate just saying everyone needs to understand that joe biden is not a racist and maybe he misspoke but he's not a racist and that should not be why won't they do that now, I, I know we've, we've I've bandied this about with you, what, yesterday, probably maybe in the day before, because I, I mean, the, the press doesn't want to touch this because ultimately what you come away with is either Biden was a racist all that time and we just didn't know it. And that would be the, an, the, the answer there effectively being that Obama um, really thinks that Biden's getting what he deserves because this is who he really is. That that's a possible Answer. I don't think that's the most likely or, you know, I don't think that's the most straightforward, but that, that's a possible answer. Okay, what else is in the mix then? Um, that Obama is too narcissistic and too self-satisfied to care what happens to his former vice president. Or that he just isn't an honorable enough friend to want to stand up for somebody who had served him well as his vice president and been was with him through a lot. You know, there are just some things in this business, and I'll tell you right now, if, if a friend of mine is ever in need in public, a real friend, somebody that, you know, I have a real relationship with that I've built over time of trust and, and you know, mutual affection and, and loyalty to each other, I'm not going to let that person get crushed without me saying a word. If, if I believe that my saying a word would be helpful, sometimes maybe it wouldn't be, but I'm not going to let them just dangle in the wind. And I just work in media. I'm not the former president of the United States. But there are questions of honor that shouldn't be hard to answer. When a friend of yours is being unfairly maligned and the reputation ruined in public, don't you have an obligation to say something if you're in a particularly 
powerful position to help? Who better to put down the uh, to, to put an end to the Biden is a racist controversy than Barack Obama, his former president that he served under and the first black president. Of the United States. You can't think of her. The only person who comes close is Michelle Obama, who also will not say a word in defense of Joe Biden. Oh, with with you know with friends with friends like the Obamas, I got to tell you, it, whew, not not exactly a profile in person to person courage here. Um, but that's, I suppose, what we should come to expect from Democrats. It's all about it's all about the uh, the cause, and the individuals pushing the cause are really all about themselves. That's what it means to be. A Democrat these days. Oh, also, I I always love this one. Uh, CBS's Gail King was speaking with Michelle Obama on the Obama administration and the no scandals talking point. Play clip eight. All that I had sort of held on to for eight years, watching my husband get raped over the coals, feeling like we had to do everything perfectly. You know, no scandal, no, (laughs) no, nothing, no, nothing, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think there was. So it was a, it yeah. was a lot emotionally. Barack Obama's executive branch forced gun dealers to give guns to straw purchasers for Mexican cartels that killed hundreds of people with them. Barack Obama's administration, the IRS, in his bureaucracy, decided to target conservatives for tax purposes in an election year. Barack, I mean, you know, I could do Benghazi. We could do this. We could do this all day. Barack Obama lied about how you could keep your health insurance plan, the single biggest initiative of his entire presidency. I mean, say, say there's no scandals. We also all know this. If anything has been learned from the uh, Epstein revelations of this week, it's that the press... The press almost uh, acts with, with a hive mind. It's almost all Democrats. It's a very when you really look at by the numbers, Fox News has a lot of influence because Fox News has half the country more or less to itself politically on TV. Uh, but Fox News isn't that big. Doesn't have that many people. It doesn't have an endless army of investigative journalists. And when you look at what conservative media has in terms of resources and reach compared to what the lib media has, it's It's a total David and Goliath story. I know that doesn't end well for Goliath, but you know what I'm saying. Much, much bigger. Way We are way outgunned in the media marketplace still in terms of resources, investigative stories, things like that. We got nothing that comes close to what the libs can throw at things. And that means that they can, one, go absolutely thermonuclear with their opposition research. And two... They can they when they want to do a story, they do a story when they don't want to do a story. It's all over with. Doesn't matter. So the no scandals point is one that tells us a lot more than they than they want us to know from it. Right. Uh, Because the no scandals thing is just essentially. Yeah, the media still looking for Obama's college transcripts, folks. They're changing laws in the state of New York just to get. Donald Trump's tax returns, which are already in the hands of the government, already have been audited. But no word on Barack Obama's college transcripts. I love how I still say that to libs. And they go, oh, it's not true. Really? 
What is not? Does not true mean it is true because it is true? I suppose somebody would have to explain that. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a lot that you got to explain to libs. There's a lot that has to be explained to libs these days. Um, this is this was this was remarkable though. Just before we before I, I move off this topic, I had something else that really. I, it's it's hard to believe, folks. And and I if I didn't have the tweet in front of me, I feel like meet the press exclusive. This was a real story they ran yesterday. I mean, this this nails home, brings home, nails home, you know, hammers home. That's what I was looking for. Hammers, nails, close enough. Hammers home the point I was trying to make. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's. This is from this is an NBC News exclusive from yesterday, folks. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's great-great-grandfathers owned 14 slaves, bringing reparations issue close to home. Um, no. It does not bring the reparations issue close to home. That is false. Uh, I, I don't know what my great-great-grandfather was up to, but I can tell you that if I found out that he was an axe murderer, I wouldn't feel like I had some moral stain on me. I have no idea who my great-great-grandfather is or was. I mean, I'm sure I could look it up on Ancestry or whatever, but this is, this is so stupid. And this is NBC News, NBC News exclusive. They can dig into the great-great-grandfather of Mitch McConnell and find... Oppo research there. Find something with which they think that they can sully the reputation of Mitch McConnell. And yet, how many times today have you seen mention? Really pay attention to this. For those of you who watch TV news, which you really shouldn't. You should just listen to this show every day. and You don't need TV news. But how many of you will see mention of Bill Clinton in the Epstein story? It may flash on the screen for a brief moment at the bottom. They may try to cover their, cover their butts a little bit by... Showing you some by being, you know, this, this is the tapper routine. Ask one one real question a month and be like, look at this real question I asked. I'm so brave. Well, yeah, but what about the hundred? What about the hundred toady questions that you asked that were for libs and dems to feast on? Oh, but I asked a real question once, you know. Oh, yeah, we ran Clinton. We were Clinton. On. No, the propaganda is clear. They're trying to make Epstein all about Trump, as we know. But think about how. The resources that that they're willing to devote at Meet the Press to find out about Mitch McConnell's great great grandfather. Who the heck cares about Mitch McConnell's great great grandfather? Let me say, Mitch McConnell, in response to this, said that his position on reparations is the same. He's in the same position as Barack Obama because Barack Obama's white parentage on one side. You know, this is. Uh, I'm sorry. Do you, does does the white parentage on one side no longer is the stain of of ancestral slavery erased for that side if there's another side down the line that it has African-American lineage, right? I mean, you know, are, are you still, are you guilty of half of the vices of reparations of your, of your elders if you are of, of uh, both black and white ancestry? And this is, this is what Mitch McConnell is saying, in, in effect. But Mitch said his position on this is the same as Barack Obama's, and Barack Obama has white ancestors who also own slaves. I don't know. That's what Mitch said. I don't know that was true. But also Barack Obama was opposed to reparations. So basically, cocaine Mitch is like, say hello to my little friend. We'll be right back. The uh, census uh, citizenship question should be there. 
So they kicked the can. And then the administration said, okay, we won't put it on there. And then the president injected himself into this. But this is about keeping, you know, make America, you know, this hat, make America white again. They want to make sure that people, certain people, are counted. It's, it's really disgraceful. And it's not what our founders had in mind. This is a lie. It's a smear. But Pelosi is very, you know, one thing that gets lost in all this with Nancy Pelosi is she has been a lifelong super lib. She has been the lib of libs for decades, man. I mean, Pelosi is the classic limousine liberal from north of San Francisco, super rich herself, just, you know, whatever the most progressive position is on any number of issues. Nancy Pelosi has been a warrior for that position for the left for a long time. And she is not progressive enough for the Democratic Party anymore. We'll get into that part of this in, in just a moment, but... Uh, what, what she said here is so is so gross. And it's a reminder, though, of what the left does whenever they can't win an argument, which is racist, which is what they always do. Oh, you're a racist. Wait a second. I just we want data. Is data racist? Well, actually, depending on the circumstances, some people will tell you that data can be racist. Hmm. It's very interesting. Um Stuyvesant High School. Why is Stuyvesant High School 75% Asian and other minority groups dramatically underrepresented? Racist! Well, that's just data, isn't it? This is the elite public high school in New York City where you just take a test to get in. Whatever your score is, that determines whether you get in. Doesn't matter what your skin color is. A lot of Asians. Other non-white minorities, not a lot of them. This is the, the big problem that comes up year in and year out of this school. Racist. Wait, but I'm just these are just the numbers. That's just what it is. It is what it is. I'm not even taking a position on it. I'm just saying that. Yeah, that sounds pretty racist. Um, but Pelosi has been playing this card as a super rich white liberal, but she'll play this card against Republicans. And she has been for a long time. And it's not enough. It's not enough for the left anymore. You see, this is this is what the left finds out. Biden's found this out the hard way with having to apologize. Uh, Pelosi and trying to deal with this left wing insurgency from within her own party. What they find out, sure enough, is. That this the that the ability to without any justification or provocation, play the race card as a means of ruining someone's reputation, shutting down dissent, shutting down debate that that is something that because they can do it whenever they want to whomever they want they'll do it to each other too in the democratic party when they when they decide to i mean here is rashida talib who's right there with with aoc and some of these others as the um the far left i don't call them the fringe they're not the fringe they're the vanguard they're at the they're at the front of the modern democratic party right now they are not some you know, outside element that just makes some noise here and there. They are pushing policy. They are making the Green New Deal something that Democrats, the stupidest idea I've ever heard. They're making the Green New Deal something Democrats have to pay obedience to. They're making open borders the official policy, even though they won't call it that, of the Democratic Party. That's coming from the far left vanguard of the party. They are pushing the party in this direction. And not even the Sandernista wing of the party is because because there must be a uh, a clear 
identity politics component of all of this. That's absolutely the case with this uh, this element within the Democratic caucus or the Democratic uh, majority in the House for sure. Here's what Rashida Tlaib says about Nancy Pelosi, third in third in line for the presidency, most powerful Democrat politician in the country, at least officially speaking, and a lifelong super lib. Here's what Rashida Tlaib says about her. Play 12. More people like us, people of color, have been missing in the chamber because most of us, and Ayanna Presley says it more beautifully, people that are closest to the pain need to be at the table making these decisions. Guess what? We know what it feels like to be dehumanized. We know what it feels like to be brown and black in this country. What would you say to Nancy Pelosi? What would you say directly to Nancy Pelosi? Uplift the women, especially the women of color within your caucus that are out there, because I'll tell you, more people like us, more people like me that come out to vote, we win. All of us win. Feels like to be dehumanized. Pelosi has to uplift the people of color. Hasn't Nancy Pelosi, she would think that her whole career was at some at some level devoted to that, I would think. That's what Nancy Pelosi would argue. It's not enough, though. Not enough. People of color, she says, have been missing in the chamber of the Democratic Party. It is never going to be enough, though, because the standard is not racism or uh, unequal treatment that is rooted in, in race will be will be called out against individuals. The standard is they can call anyone. The left can call anyone racist at any time. And it is damaging and it's supposed to be damaging. And that's the way that they play the game. And even, not even Nancy Pelosi is immune to this. That's that's what she finds out. That's that's the reality of her situation right now. Can she hold this progressive insurgency within her own party at bay? I, I don't know. I think Pelosi's probably out with the old in with the new, my friends. That means AOC is going to be calling the shots and calling them real soon. I was disappointed to see him subpoenaed because I don't think that serves any purpose dragging uh, Bob Mueller up if he, in fact, is going to stick to the report. Uh, It seems to me the only uh, reason for doing that is to create some kind of public spectacle. And if if Bob uh, decides that he doesn't want to be subject to that, then the Department of Justice would certainly back him. The hearing next week with Mueller will be um, a carnival. It'll be a freak show. Think back to March of 2017, Sean, when when Devin Nunes had a public hearing. I love Devin, uh, but public hearings uh, don't turn out well no matter who calls them. Devin called a public hearing, had Jim Comey and Mike Rogers. A hundred times the witness said, I cannot answer that question in this forum. You would think the media would say that was a waste of everybody's time. Don't ever do that again. They love it. They love it because what Adam Schiff and Swalwell and the others did is read newspaper articles that contain classified information only for the witness that then have to say, I can't comment on that in this setting. That's what's going to happen next week. Mueller's report's out. He's not going to deviate from the four corners of that report. But that will not keep House Democrats from asking. The focus will be on the question, not the answer. Oh, boy. You know, this is one of the first times I got to think more about A.G. Barr's position on this one, because I I think Barr is an administration rock star. I think that he is as good as as good as you're going to find anywhere he didn't didn't bend the knee to all the pressure on the report. He's been rocks. And his whole thing is, you know, is there a precedent for it? Well, well, then it's then it's unprecedented, isn't it? I mean, it's still one of the greatest press conference lines that I could think of. I mean, that's up there with 
you are fake news. I mean, it's just, it was fantastic what Barr pulled off. But A.G. Barr, not, not agreeing with the subpoena of Mueller, I will tell you, is a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, I don't really get why he would, well, maybe he feels like we should just move past this as a country and, and that he realizes and, and effectively agrees with what Trey Gowdy was saying there, which is that it's going to be a, a spectacle without any real purpose beyond giving people on CNN something to talk about. And, and all the, to be fair, all the cable networks, something to talk about that day. And people like me would be like, well, this is what we're said today. But I've always thought that Mueller should be forced to answer questions about aspects, if not aspects of the report, also some of the process that went into the report. And his evasiveness will or his unwillingness to answer very straightforward questions that are not privileged, that are not about classified, that are not protected, will tell us a lot about what really went on. I think that Mueller, so so what I'm really saying here is I disagree with the Attorney General if the Attorney General thinks that there's nothing to be gained from this one. Now, maybe the Attorney General, he could be right and I could be wrong. He's one of the few people in this administration, I'd say, you know, on certain matters, on this matter, for example, his judgment and my judgment, I put them pretty close. Most of the people in this administration, I'd say, if it's between what Buck says and what they say, you want to bet on Buck every time. This attorney general, I don't know. He, he might see some aspects of this that, I not, that I'm not seeing right now. I know. Well, a radio host that thinks that he may not, he may not have all the answers to be the smartest and everything. What a shock. Uh, but Attorney General Barr says he's not. Okay, he doesn't like this. Because I want to see Mueller in front of the American people just not answer very straightforward questions. Like, why was the dossier basically not dealt with at all in your report? Why was that not a part of this in, in any meaningful way? And if he says, you know, that he won't answer that, well, then I think people can draw their own conclusions because ultimately, see, here's the thing. This is not this is no longer really a legal matter. It's a political matter. And politics is all about optics. I'm here in this swamp. I'm swimming around with all these gators. There's always more gators in the swamp. Uh, I got to work on my. There was, there was that congressman, I can't remember his name now, I really like that guy. He came on the Hill TV before I left. He was like, excuse me, madame, I'm a congressman from Louisiana, and I do not want you to do the... He had that kind of Cajun accent thing going on. I can't remember the guy's name. He was great, though. He kept calling Crystal, madame, excuse me, madame, but I said, I, I like this guy. That's a little bit of... Uh... Producer Mike, what was in the, in the water, boy? What was Adam Sandler's name? Do you know what I'm talking? Oh, did you, Mark, do you know what I'm talking about? The water boy? Adam Sandler? I do, but I don't remember his name. Is it Bobby Boucher? Yes. Bobby Boucher. He, he was he had a little bit of little bit of shades of Bobby. I'm saying I like the accent, okay? I like the Cajun accent. So to our to our Louisiana listeners, I can't even say it properly. They're like, Buck, maybe learn to say Louisiana first. I guarantee. See, I start getting way too French. I start to sound like Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. Or, or maybe even the, uh, the, the chef from uh, The Little Mermaid. Les poissons, les poissons. He, 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 ho, ho, ho. You guys remember that? Come on. What just happened? Buck just had some kind of an episode on air. Let's get back into the Mueller report and the Mueller subpoena. So 
Next week, yeah, it's going to be a circus. I don't know how much new stuff we're going to learn. I don't know how much we'll be able to count on this as, uh, you know, really to answer questions. But if nothing else, it'll give us all an opportunity to see if Mueller can answer straightforward questions or not. Look what Comey did. Comey, to anyone who is being honest, lit his credibility on fire in his last hearing. I don't remember. I don't recall. I don't remember. I don't recall. He doesn't remember anything. You know, what floor of the FBI building were you on when you were director of Comey? I, I do not recall. You know, where was the bathroom near your office? Oh, I don't remember. I mean, he just didn't know anything. Of course, he knew plenty. He didn't want to give answers because he doesn't want to be found out to have lied under oath. Although I'm still waiting for those charges against Andy McCabe. Former acting FBI director Andy McCabe, who we knew was an anti-Trump partisan and a hack. He lied under oath. I think twice, if not three times, according to the inspector general. So we should be finding out what's going on there pretty soon. Um, that then also reminds me, we got the inspector general report that's supposed to come out. Um, but I don't know how, how much this is from within the Department of Justice, looking at the conduct of the FBI during and around the whole Russia collusion Mueller probe thing after Trump's election. The issue I have is even if they find, I think they'll provide good information, but the conclusions will be crap. Because if it's not Scottish, it's crap. No, but if it's because the conclusions the first in the first Inspector General report were overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly indicative of political bias or really just proved beyond any reasonable doubt political bias. And then the report and its conclusions, DOJ Inspector General's report says, oh, no, there's no bias. What? It was all bias. This would be like walking into a store that sells nuts, nothing but nuts, pistachio, almond, walnut, and say, but there are no nuts in here. What would people call you if you did that? I will not answer it because it's such a lame joke. Um, we have more coming up. Hey, guys, listen up for a second. First day of camp. But something really important. Okay, we're not women's soccer. We're not the NFL. If there's anybody here that's going to be disrespectful to either the American or the Canadian National Anthem, grab your gear and get the out now, because you'll never see the ice in this arena. I like this coach. This is a, this is a happy, well, at least I think so, a, a happy social media viral story that's out there right now. You got this coach that's gone, gone uh, viral on social media for saying, you know, we're not women's soccer, we're not the NFL. If there's anybody here who's going to be disrespectful to the American, the Canadian National Anthem, grab your gear and get the you-know-what out because you'll never see the ice in this arena. Uh, it was uh, posted on Monday night, and it's just a nice a nice antidote, in a sense, to the, the nonsense we've seen from the women's national soccer team. You know, if you're going to represent America on the world stage, try not to be a punk. Try not to be an ingrate to be you know, disrespectful, try not to be somebody that shows that they think that there's something about them that's, that's better than and above America. Uh, I, I think that there's, there's just a, a, a kind of, of arrogance that's really hard to, it's just hard to get past these people. They really do need to just get over themselves a little bit. I mean, you saw this with all the media attention. You had this run-up to Independence Day this year. That, that's a case in point. You know, it's not enough 
that they can't enjoy America over Fourth of July. They don't want anyone else having too much fun because, you know, we the people are going to be out there doing our thing, but they don't like that. So they want to make things more difficult for us. You had a still just shockingly and dispiritingly influential Colin Kaepernick, who was scuttling that Nike shoe, right? Remember the Nike shoe with the Betsy Ross American flag on it? Oh, oh, I love this. I checked earlier in the week. Snopes did a fact check. uh, So I checked on the fact check of whether the Betsy Ross flag was, because I said this on the show, and I want to make sure that what I tell you is correct, was the Betsy Ross flag, in fact, displayed at Obama's second inauguration? Guess what, folks? The answer was a big yes. But then Snopes did this whole dance, but, but, but things can change in time, and the meaning of the Betsy Ross flag has changed since 2016. Oh, I'm sorry. A flag? This, this is Snopes. This is how stupid lib media is. A flag that has existed for 200 years plus that never was racist in its depiction or intent before and clearly wasn't racist as of 2016. Folks, the flag first, the Betsy Ross version first made its debut in 1777. From 1777 to 2016, the flag is not racist. And then all of a sudden, 2019, oh, it's a racist flag because Kaepernick says so. But reality doesn't matter when social justice is at issue. You already know that. And and we've already talked about how there are all those crazy before and after reactions to the Independence Day rally in the National Mall. Right. You had we, we played the audio. We had these journalists who were comparing what was really a family friendly and patriotic celebration to the Soviet Union and to North Korea. Larry Tribe over at Harvard Law School saying, quote, resemblance to the days before Tiananmen Square is chilling. Oh, my gosh, there's going to be a tank and like a parade. It's never happened before. Actually, it's happened a bunch of times. Kennedy did it. Eisenhower did it. FDR did. Oh, my gosh, it's so scary. But here's what here's what we need to not lose sight of at all. And I know that we've already gone through our Fourth of July and we've already had our celebration. I had a great I, I might have one of the best Fourth of July's I've ever had. True story. We're really one of the best. Fourth. I just. You know, I don't know. I can't, you know, I I could explain why. Maybe I will another time. But uh, it was just a great Fourth of July. And here's the truth. America is just kicking butt right now. We are doing very well as a country. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, we got all kinds of challenges still. You know, no one cares about the $22 trillion in debt. You got debt. That's a ticking time bomb out there. Uh, Support for socialism is rising among people who are wildly ignorant. And that's very troubling in and of itself. Southern borders are mass. I mean, there's problems and we talk about the problems, but America is kicking butt right now. And we're not fighting some massive war. We're not about about to fight, I believe, any any large scale war, which is really, really great. I'd love for my children's generation, my yet to be born, but hopefully soon children's generate not too soon children's generate. Whoa, uh, that there won't be a war for their generation, or maybe the one after that, too. I think that that's possible. I think we can live in a world where that's the case. Imagine all the people. Sorry, it's that I felt a little John Lennon like there. If you did a future with no war, uh, but just remember that most of us and this coach, I think, spoke to it, and that's why it's going viral. Most of us really do love this place and appreciate it, and appreciate each other because America really is the American people. When I talk about America, 
I'm not talking about a land mass, really. It's not a lot of dirt and rocks and rivers and lakes that just we happen to get plopped down on for no apparent reason. America is the American people. You know, Russia is a bigger, a, a bigger country with comparable, if not better, natural resources. And guess what? Russia ain't America. Now, I know that's a very obvious thing to say, but this is a unique place because of the American people. And so while we while we celebrate our country, what we really are doing is celebrating our fellow Americans and in particular, our fellow Americans who also celebrate their fellow Americans. So don't let the don't let the haters and the losers and the jerks out there who, for their own reasons, for their own insecurities and, you know, tell you that you can't have a flag on the back of your truck you know, you can't celebrate the stars and stripes. You can't be proud of America. You know, that that's, oh, what's with all the jingoism and all that, you know, don't don't listen to any of that nonsense. Oh, America's history is soaked in, in blood and racism and all this terrible stuff. The history of every country has all of that. Because every group of people for all of history has had things that were, were wrong, were evil, were bad, were dark, were, were foreboding, were difficult, were, you know... It, this is our reality as human beings, as a human species. But doesn't mean that America is not doing really well right now. I mean, this is this is a good time. I, I feel like after the first Trump year in office, I had a whole show where I said, look, guys. And some of you said, Buck, come on, you're too, too exuberant right now. I'm, I know we got problems. This could all end tomorrow. I'm just trying to tell you that while things are good, enjoy them. Because I'm also here to tell you this is not going to last forever. And I hate to have to say that, where it's not going to last forever. We will look back at people like uh, the Kaepernicks. We will look back at those who were dumping on America when things were pretty good and think, what a bunch of, just what a bunch of spoiled babies they were. But I also think we'll look at coaches like this guy. And I've told you before, I coached high school soccer for a season, and it was probably the most fun job I've ever had and very rewarding in a lot of ways, too. This coach is just like, look, respect our flag, respect our anthem, respect this country. That's that's actually what America is. That's who we are. Maybe some of us wouldn't use, but he's it's locker room talk, folks. He's literally in a locker room. So I give him, he's a coach. Did I use a bit of salty language as a coach behind closed doors? I believe I did sometimes. So I give him some leeway on that one. But I, I agree with the sentiment here, you know. Love and appreciate this country, just like we love and appreciate each other as Americans. Don't let the, the negative, the, the nonsense, the liars, the leftists, don't, don't let them cloud your vision of what this country really is, what you know this country to be. That's something that only, they cannot take it from you, you can only give that away. They cannot make you disrespect the flag, disrespect the anthem. Only each one of us individually could choose to do that. And other people listening to the show would never do that because we love this country. Just like this coach. We'll be right back. Back in January, team, I, I wrote a piece for The Hill that went viral called Only a Matter of Time Before the Social Media Mob Comes for You. And this was in, uh, in reference to the Covington Catholic High School situation, those young boys that came to D.C., to the swamp, where I currently am doing the show visiting from Kentucky, and were uh, alleged to have uh, engaged by members of the media that didn't do any fact-checking, didn't do any due diligence, 
were allegedly involved in some racist interaction with a Native American activist. Well, as we all know, as it turned out, that's not what happened. You had adults, including adults who were members of the the, the true Israelites who are insane and who are racists themselves and anti-Semites, which is strange because they're the true Israelites, uh, but they, that's what they call themselves, uh, that the, the, the whole situation was not what we were led to believe from the initial reporting. But some of us, like myself, didn't jump on the lib media, let's bash the, quote, privileged white kids bandwagon, wanted to see what actually happened. Turned out the kids didn't do anything wrong and actually... Uh, conducted themselves, I think, quite well under the circumstances. I think they actually did a did a good job of being um, really baited and, and harassed by these adults. Remember, these are just young teenagers, but the media wanted to ruin their lives. The point I was making in this piece, though, is that the social media mobs of our time are not just an issue, not just a concern for those among us who are public figures, people like me. It's not just those who have blue checks on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook who we should be uh, whom we should be concerned with or who should be concerned about this issue. Anyone can become the subject of a social media lynch mob that will destroy their livelihood, destroy their reputation and ruin them. Uh, that all said, people also need to be aware of the fact that their actions can be videoed and follow them around forever on the Internet, and they need to be cognizant of the fact that everyone now carries around their own all-in-one media distribution device for the and really collection and distribution. So you can make your own little home video of whatever's going on in the street, put it on social media, and millions and millions of people will see it. Well, there is... One instance like this, where I think you have a number of factors coming together, uh, a software engineer named Wesley Michael has shared in the last uh, few. What was this? This was this just went up today. Last week it was shared and now it's now it's really going truly viral. Here's the basics of the story. Uh, over the 4th of July. A boy and his father in San Francisco were trying to leave an apartment building in places like San Francisco. Many apartment buildings, this is similar to New York, have a buzz up system where you have to buzz. They say, hey, who's this? You say, hey, it's Bob. You say, hey, Bob, you bring the beer. You say, yeah, Bob brought the beer. All right. You buzz them and the door opens. And it's in place of uh, what are what are often referred to as a doorman. Right. A person that's down there to be really a. You know, take care of the building, provide some degree of security, open the door for people, etc. Which is another thing they have in some major cities, depending on the the building, right? But the buzzer, uh, you guys all know what a doorman is. I don't need to explain that. But the buzzer system here, you know, you may or may not be that familiar with how this works. So, actually, you're probably all familiar with that. Forget that I just went through buzzer versus doorman. I don't know why I thought that, that was necessary, but sometimes, sometimes I like to just bring you into the. You know, in, into the guts of the story, bring you deep and give you as much information as I can. And then I realize, yeah, all of you know that already. So um, sorry, that, that's going to happen. I'm, I'm so excited to try to pass on information that's stuck in my head that I forget that sometimes it's information all of you have. All right, back to the story. Wesley Michael uh, shared this video. And look, he's African-American. He is 
According to the video, and this is all based on this video now, so we don't have any additional context. This was published on The Hill today, but it's viral all over the Internet. According to what we see in the exchange between both individuals, it's pretty clear that 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 Michael, uh, the software engineer who took the video, posted the video, followed in uh, when the guy was leaving the father and the son. We don't know the father's name. I'm sure we're going to find out soon. I'm sure he's probably going to get fired. Um but he, as, as the guy was exiting, Michael entered the building, and then this father, I don't know what else we call him, this dude, this father, uh, decides that he thinks that Michael could be a security risk, and so he wants, he wants to, he asks this guy, Wesley Michael, the one who posted the video, who he was going to see there, and can he buzz up his friend because he wants to prove that he's there for a, a a legitimate purpose, that this guy didn't just go in the lobby, you know, for an illegitimate purpose, whatever that may be. Here's how some of the exchange went, just so you can hear what we're talking about. Play. This is the father on the phone calling police on Wesley Michael. Play clip 18. Can, I remember. Can, can you I remember. Call your friend on the call box and have them come down. They don't have to do that. You could just walk away. I'm going to call the police. Right now. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Call the police. Remember that uh, I remember this exactly happening when I used to live in my own condo and then people used to call the police all the time. Sir, I'll hold the door here for you. While that you is call okay. Your Nobody's asking you to hold the door. You can do whatever you want. But I'm recording you right now and right. you're going to be the next person. Look at this. You don't need to threaten me. You just need I'm to not threatening you. You are. I'm not threatening you. You're going to be the next person what? You're just going to be the next person on TV. Just remember that. And you have your son with you. That's why I asked you if that's your son. It's better. I'll rec- I will delete this. Yeah, there's a trespasser in my building. Daddy, oh. go. Please uh, go. Listen to your son. Daddy, go. It's the better. I, I agree with him, Daddy. It's the better. Let's go. Please. I don't like it. I don't like it. Now, you hear that's his son. That's the father's young son saying, let's go. Let's not do this. I have to say, I think the son in this instance is is correct, um, that this was a, this was ill advised. Now, before I get into this, especially because we started out talking about social media mobs and Covington Catholic, there could be additional context, not on these videos. Um, the father here, I don't know if, if he is going to release a statement saying that this guy, you know, did he. Uh, you know, say anything menacing on the way into the building. You know, I, I don't know. I, I can't speak to anything outside the video, but the video has gone completely viral and is now sparking all these conversations online about these situations. Um, and and here's what I will say from what we can see based in this video. You know, it is a problem in these buildings that people will follow others into the building and that. It, it, it essentially defeats the entire security of the building if someone can just wait by the door and wait for someone to come in and is not challenged. So there's there's a real concern there that that is not something that people should just completely ignore. This is not a made up. This is not a fake concern. This is a real thing. And Ann Coulter has been you guys all know I love Ann. She's been running around today on Twitter sharing story after story of. You know, somebody going home in the East Village in New York, stabbed by a stranger waiting in the lobby. Someone, uh, you know, wait, waiting in the lobby, guns down the 
uh, paramour of their of a girlfriend or something. I mean, you know, the story after story, and doesn't it's not hard to find them. And those were all cases of somebody who did not have a legitimate purpose in that building, and therefore is is trespassing, um, and and caused real harm to people. Now, in the real life application of this, and if you go, we'll go on a little more detail here in, in this video. The real life application of this is, you know. This guy, this father, I could tell he gets his he gets his back up a little bit and he's getting a little a little hissy over the situation with this guy. And this guy, Michael, who said, you know, this used to happen to me, my con all the time. He clearly is ready for this. He he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that this guy is going to look horrible in this video, which he, he doesn't look good. Uh, and he knows that the longer he draws this out, the more. The guy, and you could tell the guy's a little bit, he's kind of grasping. He's like, are you threatening me? And there's some, and this is really just two people. Now, you know, I'll be honest with you. I think that this is two people having their egos collide. I don't think this was really motivated by racism necessarily. I can't, maybe this guy is racist, maybe he's not, I, I don't know. But from the exchange, this guy sounds to me, the father like he's the dude who also, you know, makes all the complaints at the condo association meeting about, you know, kids throwing like, you know, loud parties and uh, someone didn't refill the water jug down in the weight room. And, you know, I think he's that guy. I don't think that he saw this individual go in and thought, oh, here's an African-American male. Therefore, I'm worried. Therefore, I'm going to call the police. But I don't know. And the problem in our in our current environment is that, you know, if you're going to call somebody out in this way, you better be darn sure that it doesn't look like you're just. And, and I would note that the 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 Wesley, the designer, he's wearing a pink polo shirt. You know, I, I do. I'm sorry. I do think that, that clothing at some level matters. Like if somebody goes into a place and, you know, they're wearing like a ski mask. I, I think you're allowed to think that that's a, of greater concern. You know, if some if some guys wearing a pink polo shirt, not a lot of burglars wear pink polo shirts. But, you know, again, we're analyzing without all the facts. But I just wanted to use this as to, to illustrate the perils of the social media age we live in now, because, I mean, this father, he's now famous in the way you really don't want to be famous. And here's a little more of the exchange. Play 19. Appears to be African American. Thirty-five. Software engineer. Polo shirt and a Yankees cap. All good. All good. Software engineer, brother. Yep. Pink polo shirt. Yeah. And tennis shoes, jeans. Yeah. You had to be here for when they call him. He's filming me and refusing to leave. I'm saying I'm going to be the next person on TV. Yes, sir. You know that's illegal now, right? Five ten. <laughs> yeah, that's that's illegal to call call cops he on African Americans. He said he's waiting for a friend, and I asked yes. him to dial on the call box, and he said he would not. So I'd have no way to know if his friend is actually here. Yeah, so I'm here to just rob whatever, what I'm a mailbox. You, I'm just asking you for your friend's name. I don't go. I have to tell you. Did you hear him? Now, see, this is an interesting point at the end there. I think this guy, this guy Wesley, this dad is clearly look. He, maybe he just had a fight with his wife. You know, I, I, we they always jump to the oh, it must be racist conclusion in the media. I think Wesley obviously jumped the guy who posted the video to the racism conclusion. 
But maybe this guy is just in a bad mood. Maybe he's just a jerk, by the way. You know, maybe he's not a very nice guy. Or maybe he had a bad day, which we all can have. And Wesley clearly could have said, I'm going to see, you know, Susie in 5G. And I think that probably would have ended this whole thing. But he decided, because, you know, maybe he's got, maybe Wesley has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about this. He mentioned that there were previous instances of people calling police on him in a condo that he owned. So I think he does. I think it's fair to say the evidence points to him being, um, you know, having had negative experiences like this in the past, which then means he's got a chip on his shoulder about it now. He could have diffused the situation. Both of them could have diffused the situation, but instead they allowed it to escalate. And here's what I'll just say. If there's any additional facts that come out about this, I'll definitely address it on the air. Um, it looks bad for this dad. He should have been. Uh, and when I say it looks bad, I'm just saying it looks bad. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm not saying I can tell what's in his heart, whether he's racist or not. But he's if they've you know, his job is probably in jeopardy right now, which is, a, you know, which is a shame because didn't was anyone harmed in the making of this video? Did anything really happen? No. But the conclusion that the public will jump to is of uh, racist intent. And, you know, I think there was a little there was a little bit of escalation and bad faith on both sides here. From what I can see in a video that's imperfect, that's out of context, you know, it doesn't show you everything that happened before or after. And I haven't seen much in the way of statements about this. Um, but I do think that we, it's a reminder to all of us. We all have to live our lives like we're being videoed pretty much all the time because you just don't know. You can be walking down the street, uh, getting a bag of groceries and all of a sudden you're in the middle of some incident that can become, and this video has been seen millions of times. That's why I'm talking about on radio millions of views. So obviously sparking a lot of conversation here. Uh, let me know what you think about this one. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is a great place for you to send your thoughts. I'm curious to know uh, the video. It's, uh, they have it up on the hill.com right now. Uh, you know what? I'll share it. I'll share it on my Facebook page. There you go. I'll share this on Facebook guys, and we'll see what you think of it. And uh, team will be right back. So if you run, you are also sitting congressman right now. But if you decide to run for president, cough, cough, um, you, uh, <laughs> if you would, are you, would you give up your seat in Congress? Yes. You would give it up? Yes. Really? And I think That's you have to. I, I, now, why I, is that? Well, I, I think you have, if you're, you know, seeking such a, a big job that would affect so many mm -hmm. people, you have to assure, you know, uh, the people you're asking to vote for you that you're not hedging and that you yeah. don't have you know a lifeboat uh, waiting burn the for boats. you. Burn the boats, as Cortez did. <laughs> you know they they stormed the land and he had them burn the ships behind them so that there was no looking back. And I and I would want to I would want people to know I'm putting my all into this and I don't have a life insurance policy. The least charismatic and really least interesting of all the Democratic candidates. We talked about this yesterday. He's out. Swalwell. But turns out somebody else is in. Before we get to that, though, I'm going to keep you in suspense in case you don't know who is in. I thought this was kind of funny. Swalwell, who disappointed the point zero 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 one percent of American voters by deciding he would no longer be running for president, he had to more or less admit, yeah, I was kind of lying about that. Play 16. Are you going to yeah. run for Congress? Yes. Yes. Congress. You said it earlier when you, ran, when you announced your candidacy that you wouldn't run for I'd said that I wouldn't seek both. Uh, our, uh, our attorneys had told us that you could run for both. That decision wouldn't have to come until December, uh, and that if we were still in it in December, uh, I wouldn't seek uh, both. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the polls have had their way, so uh, here we are in July. 
It's like, yeah, I, I got to get out so I can still be a swamp creature with a job in Congress and forget what I said before. But who's in? Who is in? Hmm. That was not exactly in tune. But Tom Steyer, baby. Yeah, that's right. Someone said to Tom Steyer, hey, did you see this guy Swalwell? That was the most unnecessary, uninspiring political campaign of the 2020 cycle. And Steyer's like, hold my beer. He's going in. This is a billionaire, super left-wing guy whose main talking point is that he wants to impeach Trump. That's his number one that's his number one uh, reason for existing, it seems. He really, really, really wants to impeach President Trump as if somehow that's going to make everything better for everyone. I just, I, I don't know what this guy thinks he's going to accomplish. I do, though, have to have to admit this. At least now there's a true billionaire on that stage. So when you know who, the millionaires are the billionaires. He's going to, Bernie's going to be able to throw side eye at Tom Steyer left or right. He'd be like, billionaire? Like that guy, three people over to my left. That's right. Bernie's going to have a billionaire to yell at on stage when he yells about millionaires and billionaires now. So he's got that going for him, which is nice. It is nice indeed. We've got uh, a passing to tell you about here in a moment, team. Uh, somebody from the political realm that you'll all know. We'll get into that in just a moment. It's a sad day in American politics. Ross Perot passed away. Uh, he was 89 years old. He had had a five-month-long battle with leukemia. I don't know as much about Ross Perot's career as I think I'd like to. Uh, I remember him mostly from when I was very young, and he was uh, a subject of some humor and, and pop culture send-ups of him, particularly the way that he was depicted on Saturday Night Live. That was back when Saturday Night Live tried to be a, a show that was just funny and wasn't a show that was pushing a left-wing political agenda all the time. Um, but Perot had an, an incredible business career, and right? he became a billionaire back in 84 when General Motors bought EDS for nearly $2.6 billion. Uh, he had an incredible, uh, incredible private sector career. He also uh, went to the Naval Academy and... I this is a guy who, you know, I'll be honest with you. I wish I had spent a little more time reading into the ways of Perot. He did pretty well as a third party candidate. I remember that. I forget what the exact percentage was, um, but he was a guy who definitely moved the needle on Amer in American politics. And he uh, seemed to have some very interesting ideas. And I have a feeling we may find out over the long run that he was, in fact, a uh, something of a profit on some issues, particularly on the Fed and monetary policy and the economy. I mean, he's he some of his ideas, I think we're going to find out down the line well, were more correct than we realized at the time here. Just to give you a sense, I mean, here are some and this is courtesy of uh, Jack Posobiec over at One America News. Just a whole bunch of Ross Perot quotes. I think this is probably the best way to honor the man here on the show for a couple of minutes. So here are Ross Perot-isms. The budget should be balanced. The treasury should be refilled. The public debt should be reduced. And the arrogance of public officials should be controlled. Now sign me up for all of that. 
A weak currency is the sign of a weak economy, and a weak economy leads to a weak nation. Yep. There are but two things worth living for, to do what is worthy of being written and to write what is worthy of being read. We've shipped millions of jobs overseas, and we have a strange situation because we have a process in Washington where after you've served for a while, you cash in and become a foreign lobbyist. On NAFTA, Ross Perot said, quote, you've wrecked the country with these kinds of deals. Hmm. Sounds like somebody else we all know. Ross said also, quote, I've had wonderful parents and have a magnificent wife. I have great children. That's real wealth. Young people who make money their God are inevitably in for a big disappointment. Oh, that's that's true. And I know uh, I'm saying that a lot of you saying, Buck, where's your wife and kids? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. It's going to happen. You guys will be among the the hundreds of thousands of you across the country will be among the first to know. I promise. Uh, Ross also said debt is like a crazy aunt we keep down in the basement. All the neighbors know she's there, but nobody wants to talk about her. Um, What's the most important thing you can tell me about leadership? I'd say just treat people the way you'd want to be treated. I am not a legend, but I am a myth. I kind of like that. I learned no matter how poor people are, there are good people, and those are things you can't learn at Harvard Business School. I, I like this Ross Perot guy, and a lot of his stuff is good. A lot of his stuff makes a lot of sense to me. I would like to spend a little more time digging into it, perhaps. But uh, He used to light people up just like Trump did. Right? He was kind of a little bit of a precursor to Trump in some ways. Yeah, I've heard a few people say that today. and that, uh, After hearing some of those liners and seeing some of the other stuff, I mean, he wasn't that far. Di- he wasn't that much different. Yeah. You know, being, being willing to break with consensus and just speak the truth as you know it is a very powerful thing. Powerful for Ross Perot, powerful for, Don- for uh, Donald Trump, for a lot of people out there. Just say what you really think and let the people decide if you're right. Don't worry about what everybody else wants you to say. Um, I think that's a lesson that Donald Trump certainly took on for his campaign. And uh, Ross Perot, a life well lived. May he rest in peace and be with the Lord. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed it is. It is time for the Roll Call. And uh, very much appreciate the opportunity to share Roll Call with all of you. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That is our Roll Call rallying cry. That's where you go if you want to send in thoughts for the show. And with that, my friends, let's get right to it, shall we? Let's do our thing. Keith, bucket simple. Men watch the majority of sports on TV, including women's beach bikini volleyball. The ratings for this highly skilled are very good, better than women's soccer. Ask your buddy Jesse Kelly what he thinks, but I know I'd be much more inclined to watch women's soccer if they were wearing bathing suits. Just a thought. My sexist shield is high. Uh, well, Keith, 
I, I, I know, you know, that some of the ladies in the audience right now are, are shaking their heads in disapproval at you. But I can tell you that the, the basic premise of the audience gets to decide what the audience wants to watch when we're talking about televised sports is is correct. And as much as people may not like what the masses want to see, uh, that doesn't really matter. And and it cannot really matter if this is going to continue to be a business, if televised sports are going to be a the multi-billion dollar business they they currently are. But yes, the women of the women's uh, U.S. national soccer team are, are, in fact, for what they do, overpaid relative to the men and their share of the revenue that they generate with their team, with, with, with their labor. This is all rather straightforward stuff, but... People make it much more complicated. Michael writes, Buck, I'm always a little confused when you say you want to start to take calls again. How would that work? I don't get it. Well, Michael, it really depends on a few things going forward about uh, the, how do I put this, Um, what we stream on the show, what we do in terms of stations that are live, stations that are delayed. Uh, I, I would like to find a way, though, to get more interactive calling going on. And maybe what we'll do, and, and we've discussed this before, would be to set up a, well, a voicemail. It does, it's not quite the same because people can call and leave a voicemail, but then we don't get to discuss with them in real time on air. So uh, we're, we're open to ideas, Michael. We're open to ideas. That's not really an answer, but it's the best answer I can give you right now. Carolyn writes, hey, Buck, I agree with your point that women in sports are fairly compensated. There is one sport where women are not segregated from men, NASCAR racing. Since its inception, 109 women drivers have qualified in NASCAR races, most notably Janet Guthrie, who beat Dale Earnhardt in the 1976 World 600. Women drivers are compensated by how many fans they attract and how many sponsors they get, pure and simple. We don't need to see sexism a sexism where it just isn't. In fact, when Guthrie first raced, the announcer said, with all due respect to Janet Guthrie, gentlemen, start your engines. Now with Danica Patrick on the track, they say drivers start your engines. Women are welcomed in the sport and receive equal treatment. Well, right, because there there are some uh, there are some activities where there is no inherent male physiological advantage. Uh, dr- driving, I think it's fair to say, is one of them, although I did speak recently to a a young NASCAR driver, randomly was talking to one at a party, and he told me that physical fatigue is, isn't very much a part of being a world-class NASCAR driver, meaning that you need to be in shape, you need to train, you need to think of yourself as a professional athlete and not just a professional driver. Um People would say, oh, golf, well, no, golf, there's still the strength of hitting the ball. You know, the, the men's drive versus the women's drive off the tee is a, is a big difference, and that's strength-based at some level. Uh, but pool, billiards, men have no advantage in billiards over women. Uh, shooting, I think, at a, depending on the specific sport. I mean, I was just at the range last weekend and saw a, a fair amount of, of women there who were just dead-eye on target all the time. And that's very much a precision and technique-based pursuit and not a brute strength and speed uh, pursuit, right? So there are some places where you're going to see men and women able to compete 
uh, on an even playing field. It, look, it, this isn't that complicated, folks. No one's saying that you know one gender is better or smarter than the other. We are saying that one gender tends to be larger, stronger, and faster than the other, which is just biology. That that's all we're that's all we're talking about, and that's why. Yeah, the under-15 men's national team. So we're talking about 13- and 14-year-old kids really handily beat the women's national professional soccer team. So that, that's a, you know, that, that tells you a lot about the... And that's just a physical difference issue. It's not a, a slight against the skills and the work ethic and of, the, of the female athletes. It's just men and women are different, folks. Uh, you know, our, our society is pushing and pushing for us to forget that but we shouldn't forget it. We can't forget it because it's the truth. Men and women are different. We have different biologies. We have different advantages and disadvantages as a function of our biology. This is just all legit. This is all reality. Jen writes, uh, great show. I've been checked out of politics. Oh, this is an old, old one. Sorry about that. Angela. Buck, my daughter is Gen Z. I am Gen X. She has some different views than mine, even though she is still a conservative, thankfully. She is registered Republican, so am I. My point is she brought up an interesting idea for us to vote in the Democratic primary. The question is, should we vote for the more extreme that has the lesser chance to win the general election or vote for the one that scares us the least? We can vote because Virginia has open primaries. Um, That's a very good question, and this is... I think you could make a very a very strong argument in either direction. Do you want to vote for the looniest loon so that that person... Look, no one person's vote really matters. We all know that. But if you vote for the looniest loon, you are saying that you're hoping that person gets through, and then the idea is that Trump would crush that loon. Or you could vote for the least scary person. I guess for some people, maybe that would be Biden. I think the least scary is actually Delaney. Out of Maryland, I'll be honest. With you. Delaney is not a a frightening ideologue. Uh, he's somewhat reasonable on certain things, and you can have a conversation with him. And he doesn't. He's not like, oh my gosh, climate change. We need a green new deal. All this crazy stuff you hear from people all the time. Um, he's not. A, he's not a Delaney is not a crazy person. So that puts him in a different category than a lot of the other Democrats. Uh, here we go here. Matthew writes, uh, quick technical note on the grand. Your gut instinct was correct. It is a clip, not a magazine. The magazine is part of the gun and you're loading an eight round, uh, M block clip into the gun. Uh, as always shields high. Well, thank you, Matthew. Yeah, I had, I had a feeling the grand is, is correctly called the clip, but then I second guessed myself cause I was on air when I was saying it. Um, but yeah, that makes sense to me. It is it is a it looks like a clip and you insert the whole thing into the magazine of the rifle. By the grand's a lot of fun, man. That thing's got that's got some kick to it, some power. Um, I did I did very much enjoy the experience of fire. I'd never fired a, a grand before. I'd I'd never had that uh that experience of firing a grand. I'm trying to think of the most interesting thing I've ever I've ever fired. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd have to give it. I'd have to give it some thought. Um, let's see what we have here. We can go to see. The thing is, also, if I said whatever the most interesting thing was that I've ever fired, a lot of you'd be like, "Buck, I've got one of those under the couch cushions." Come on, buddy. You know, 
yeah, I know this audience, you got a lot of real gun people out there who know their firearms. You know, they're collectors, they're enthusiasts, they're marksmen, blah, blah. You're all amazing. I know, I know. So I'm from New York City. I'm not even allowed to have a pea shooter. I'm not even allowed to have a slingshot. All right. So it's a different, different world I've been operating in. And ever since the, I haven't been with the agency, I no longer have a professional excuse to go to a range and fire whatever the heck I want, which I used to be able to basically do. Um, Sarah just wrote in, ha, ha, ha. Okay, Sarah, I'll take it. Hopefully I said something funny. Thanks for writing. Um, let's see. Hey, Buck, I'm about halfway through Ben Mesrick's Bitcoin Billionaires. Absolutely fascinating. As an econ major, it's making me change the way I think about money uh, and how it works moving forward. Take care, man. The show is always awesome. Thank you, David. I really try. I want to dig into... Uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum and some of these cryptocurrencies a bit more on the show, just from a from an economic and philosophical perspective, not from an investor perspective. But, you know, I, I spoke to a friend recently who's a, a real evangelist for blockchain technology, Ethereum, and she's very, very smart and she's totally on board for all this. So I, I want to do more. I, I would like to look into more. Um. Mackenzie writes, hey, Buck, I've been listening for about three years. Love your show. Keep it up. P.S. You do help me. You do help me sleep at night. So I am a 24 year old male to female. Do I have a good chance running for prez? People are crazy, man. Um, well, Mackenzie, thank you so much for listening to the show. And I appreciate that uh, I'm able to keep you safe and warm at night. That's the plan. That's my duty. And I do my duty here on the show. Um. But uh, as for you running for president, pretty sure you got to be a little older than 24. So that's going to be a stumbling block. Diane, right? Hey, Buck, I'm listening to your show right now. Wondering if you can comment on this. One of the liabilities of having a free society is that we can have communists and Marxists running for president of the United States. Since when do these ideologies become acceptable? They're completely incompatible with the Constitution. I don't care and I don't understand why we are accepting these candidates since when is communism uh, acceptable? Why are they trying to destroy the country? I'm waking up. Diane, uh, yeah, I mean, free ideas means the freedom to have bad ideas, unfortunately. And there's a lot of that going on in this country. But I'll have to return to this one another day because they're giving me the wrap it up sign. Team, you have your orders until tomorrow. Shields high.